0: Glory.
1: Today in many Eastern Catholic churches is Mardi Gras, but it's really anything but a wild celebration. And by the way, for those of you who are familiar with Mardi Gras, hopefully you're familiar with what it really means. It means Fat Tuesday, which means you're saying goodbye to fatty things. In other words, meat products, especially on Tuesday, because in the Western lung of the church, the next day, officially begins Lent for you on Ash Wednesday. So Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday, you're eating the fattiness because you're going to kiss it goodbye. Well, we're doing the same thing today in many Eastern Catholic churches, only it's on a Sunday. It's called Meat Fair Sunday. That Basically, is our Mardi Gras, but it's not about wild celebrations and body parades and things like in New Orleans. I mean, God bless them for carrying on a Mardi Gras tradition, but it's in so many ways, like many other things in life, it's lost its real meaning. We have to be reminded of what it really is. In fact, in New Orleans, when they would play all that music in the parades and so on, is because they were going to say goodbye to music as well. In fact, sometimes they would play sad songs because you're not going to be playing music during the season of the fast because it's a season of, of repentance, of sorrow, but a sorrow that leads to joy. That's why we call it the bright sadness in Eastern churches. We always speak in the both and. The sadness is that we're giving up a lot of fun things because we're focusing on what is really important. We're getting away from what is just excessive and superfluous and not essential We're being honest about our sins. And that will lead us to a purity of heart, which gives us greater joy. So it's a bright sadness. There is sadness, but there's also the brightness that comes from the cleansing, the renewing of repentance. And speaking of fasting, giving up things, yes, we give up meat today, and then next Sunday we'll give up dairy products so that we've relieved ourselves of all of the fatty kind of celebration-type meals that we normally are accustomed to. We'll return to those, oh, we'll return to them with great joy on Easter Sunday with those magnificent Easter baskets with all the eggs and hams and things that we fasted from. We'll return to that but with a renewed spirit, hopefully less gluttonous, less bound by the fallen side of our passions and so on. But we fast today and we don't celebrate. We don't do a wild body Mardi Gras type celebration because we're also focusing on not only fasting, stepping back, but on our sinfulness and especially the last judgment. And the Eastern Catholic Churches today is also called the Sunday of the Last Judgment. And We take this very, very seriously, and I think it's something that really needs to be taken seriously, especially in our world. This is one of the things that our world is really, really missing. There are a few things I can probably count on three fingers that I think would turn the whole world back around to what is good and holy according to God's plan. Among those few things, this sense of not believing or not really being aware each day, several times a day, that we're going to die. And be judged. And that judgment will be eternal. Now we don't like to look at that. You might be feeling even feeling a little bit uncomfortable even now as I'm talking about it. But if you think you're feeling uncomfortable now, just wait. Let's get really uncomfortable. Is only we can do in the Byzantine church and the Byzantine liturgy. Oh, we love this stuff. I'm gonna read to you some of the text, the prayers for this Sunday of the last judgment, and also Sunday of Meat Fair. Listen to this one. This is from the Matin service of today, the morning prayer. All shall be judged according to their order, monks and hierarchs, old and young, master and servant. Even widows and virgins will undergo the same judgment. On that day, woe to the one who has not led a holy life. And here's this one too. Princes and leaders will be judged, and so will the rich and the poor. Neither your father nor your mother will be able to help you, nor will your friends save you from punishment. O my soul, tremble at the thought of the judge and the terrible accusation. Prepare now your defense so that you may escape eternal condemnation. May I not hear, O Lord, the word which will chase me far from you. Do not send me to the fire of the accursed. Rather, with the just, may I hear the voice of your call. Before the divine judgment seat, no help will assist you, neither strategy nor concern, neither glory nor friendship but own the strength, O oh my soul, that comes from your deeds. And there's one more prayer. We're going to look at many more today. This is from the Vesper service, the very first dogmatic hymn of the Vespers for this Judgment Sunday. When will you come to render just judgment, O righteous judge? You shall sit upon your throne of glory. A river of fire shall flow before your judgment seat. The powers of heaven will be there with you, filled with fear. All humanity will be judged according to their deeds. At this hour, O Christ, spare us, and because of your great love, grant that the faithful who pray to you may be given a place with your chosen ones. I weep and I lament when I think of the outer darkness and eternal fire, together with Hades, the worm that consumes and the gnashing of teeth, the unceasing grief that falls upon those who have sinned without measure and who have provoked you to anger, O God most good. Alas, among these sinners I am the first, but in your great mercy, O judge, save me. Alas, O my darkened soul, how long will you persist in sin? How long will you lie in laziness? Why do you not think of the dreadful hour of death? Do you not fear the awesome judgment seat of the Savior? How will you defend yourself? How will you be vindicated? Your works are there to convict you, and your actions witness against you. Moreover, time is growing short, O my soul. Hasten and cry out in faith, I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned. But I know your love and your mercy, O good shepherd, your goodness. Do not deprive me of a place at your right hand. Have you had enough? Are you shaking in your boots? Well, you should be. So here's the problem. We think that we can never be uncomfortable today. We act as though we're not going to die. And if we do die, we basically, we render ourselves our own judgment. Well, I think I'm going to heaven. You know, God's a merciful God. The one thing we can never say, we can never say what might be of our own judgment. No, we can't. Or of anybody else's, really. This is why the church does things like it does today in very dramatic, powerful ways, asks us to be honest about judgment, that we do not judge ourselves. We do, we are not the judges. We will come before what we call the fearsome judgment seat of Christ. And it is God who will judge. And that is not being negative. See, it sounds strange today because we're in this world of what they call Church of Nice, and everything has to be nice and sweet. We think of God as some kind of, I say it's like he's almost like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Remember that? Maybe I'm dating myself, a little advertisement of this Pillsbury Dough, and they had this little boy made out of dough, and he would poke him in the stomach, and he would giggle, <laughs> this soft little dough boy. We think of God as that way, I'm afraid, and we think that, well, God wouldn't possibly render a... Bad judgment against me, right? He's a merciful God. Well, God's love and mercy is also His wrath. In other words, He gives us what we want. You know, if you don't want Him, if you don't want to pursue the heights of the life of deep spirituality, of repentance, and of charity and love and asceticism, as we're called to during Lent, if you don't want that, well, then God won't give it to you. He gives you what you want. Do you want to go for the gold? Do you want to be in the Hall of Fame? Why not reach for the heights of sanctity? And this is how we do it. We look and focus every day, but especially today, on judgment. And we'll be judged on our actions. And there's no excuses, as you heard from the liturgical text here. No one can help you. No one's around. It's you and God, stripped spiritually naked before God. In other words, you can't fake him out. You can't hide. You can't bluff. You can't cover up like we're so good at doing on this side of eternity. There isn't going to be that. God is God. He sees everything. You can't hide from it. You can't hide our bad deeds. You cannot hide our sins. What we can do, though, on this side of eternity, is repent for them. Going to confession regularly, especially during Lent, doing the ascetical disciplines, the extra fasting and the prayer, growing in holiness, being honest about our sins. The communion prayer in the Byzantine church at our liturgy, And you heard it in the text I just read. Before we approach, we say a prayer, and it's a quote from 1 Timothy, from the epistles, where we actually, each one of us says that we are, we, I, am first among sinners. In other words, all we know is our own sin. We cannot judge the heart, the culpability, the interior culpability of any one person. We can judge objective actions, and we should, just like we do in court. That's what law is for. If someone's committed a crime, we identify that and they're punished or they have to make restitution. But in terms of judging their heart, their soul, we cannot do that. We only know our own interior disposition. Even then, we kind of try to fool ourselves. And that's why that's accurate to say, for each one of us to say, I am the greatest sinner. Because as far as I know, I know my own sins without exception. Definitively, I do not know definitively what is in the heart and soul of that other person no matter what objective action they have done and this is why we say that prayer see it's a i guess you'd call it to the extreme extreme honesty but the extreme really is the norm and that's what this season of the great fast brings us back to the norm the norm is to be well aware of our judgment and to prepare for it while we're on this earth i'm father thomas Leah on light
0: of the east
1: I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Costco, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back. We're looking at. Judgment Day and also Meat Fair, Mardi Gras, only Byzantine style, which is anything but celebrating and being bawdy and rock, raucous and so on. It's about actually being pretty sober because we're giving up meat products now for 40 days. And we are looking at death and judgment in a very graphic and real way, as always, through the lead of the liturgical texts of the services in the Byzantine church. And I want to go back to one of the texts that talked about that leaders will be judged. Everybody be judged, rich or poor, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter. We say in our funeral service, we look in the grave at the body and what does it matter now? Whether it was a King, a Prince or a pauper, a criminal, whoever, you're looking at the way that we all end up dead. No one is exempt from that dead. And we are judged. And listen to this. When I speak about, as the liturgical texts do, the leaders are to be judged, I, I have to believe that the problem today, one of those big, as I mentioned earlier, there's about three things that if we can heed them, we could turn this world around. One of those is the fact that we don't seem to believe, really, especially very powerful people, secularized people don't seem to believe in, well, their own death, but more so in judgment or hell. Just think, if everybody believed, had on their mind, they could go to hell. They're going to be judged. Do you remember the visions that Our Lady gave to the three little children during her appearances in Fatima back in 1917, right when the World War I started? One of the things she revealed to them was a glimpse of hell. Now, it seems like quite a bit for a a child to take, but she, of course, protected them. They survived. I sometimes wonder if maybe the virgin, if she wanted my opinion, which she does not need, if the virgin could today come back and show the whole world a vision of hell, especially powerful people, leaders, because it just seems like people have no fear that they'll be judged on their actions on earth and all the hurt that they may have caused and that their judgment will be on not a very happy one for them it'll be severe and here's the kicker ready for this it'll be eternal if you don't like it you can't get out on bail you can't ask for a lighter sentence that's it the judgment is made and you're there forever now yes we may pass through a purgative state Uh, in route to heaven if we're saved. But if you are destined for condemnation, you're going to be there forever. No turning back. I mean, I just can't imagine that. We don't like to look at that. We don't like to look at death. We certainly don't like to look at the fact that what kind of God would throw somebody into hell forever? Well, God doesn't throw people into hell. God simply, as I said before, remember, he gives us what we chose. What did you choose on this earth? What trajectory were you on that you desired to be on? with no thought of your death and judgment, with no thought of how you might be hurting people, with no thought that we are called to become the best versions of ourselves on this earth so that we can leave this place a better place because we were here, that we have left our unique gift that God gave us on this earth. We left it behind us and somehow the earth is better because we were there. That's what we live by. And fasting and prayer and the awareness each day of our judgment or the possibility of condemnation, that is what helps us to magnify our gifts and leave our gifts behind us, earth to make this earth a better place. We all have a unique, unrepeatable gift or gifts to leave on this earth before we leave it. That's the whole purpose. Isn't that fun? That's a very positive, hopeful, wonderful, joyful attitude, isn't it? Well, that's the basic attitude of our life in order to remind ourselves of that to get ourselves disciplined we do have to look at the alternative let's look at a few other verses from these dramatic verses of this meat fair sunday and also called the sunday of the last judgment by the way we read matthew 25 the famous passage of the last judgment did you feed the hungry clothe the naked and so on if you have you can come to heaven if not then your judgment is hell it's very clear In Matthew's gospel, which we read today, listen to this text. May I not wander into the land of weeping, nor see the place of darkness, O Christ and word of God. May I not be bound hand and foot and rejected from the banquet hall, for in my misery I have soiled the garment of the eternal nuptial feast. Now, these are very significant, profound words that give us insight, not only into our destiny but to our origins, into a, what we call a theological anthropology. That means understand the human person in light of God, how we revealed God, participated in God, why and how God created us, what was our original intent, what was his original intent, what was his original intent and destiny for us. And this line points to it. May I not be bound hand and foot and rejected from the banquet hall, for in my misery I have soiled the garment of the eternal nuptial feast. Then that tells you right there that our destiny is a nuptial feast. In other words, a celebration of a wedding with God. We, all his creation, come to fullness in the church, are his bride collectively. Now, a lot of guys have problems with that. I'm not saying you're a girl, guys. I'm just saying you have to think mystically, always mystically. That's especially the case with us Easterners, mystical bride, that collectively we are the bride of God. In other words, we received his love. He proposed to us. He initiated everything like a man's supposed to do. He's supposed to propose to the woman, go out and get the ring, propose to her, and she hopefully responds back with, yes, that's exactly how it is between us and God. And that's the metaphor used in the Bible and in the church, it's in the Eucharist, it's the very beginning and ending of the Bible itself, that God Is like the groom who proposes to us to unite with us in something like a mystical marriage, and it is our place, like the bride, to say yes, or we're going to say no. We're going to keep him out. But also in this liturgical text here, it says, I have soiled the garment of the eternal nuptial feast. Okay, there's the nuptial feast reference, but the garment has double meaning. The garment is not only the wedding garment, meaning when you put on a garment, you put on clothes, that's the first thing someone sees of you. It kind of, in a sense, almost defines you. They could tell a lot about what you're thinking, what you're thinking of the event you're at. That was, you come to church dressed well, hopefully. It means you are saying by your very dress, I value this. This is something special. If you're going to go to the Super Bowl, or if you went to the Super Bowl or any kind of game or a basketball game, you're going to dress up. In the clothes of your team, right? Because that tells you who you're rooting for. Well, our clothes are the first thing that people see about us, and they make a statement about us, about a lot of things. So the wedding garment means the statement that we've put on the life of a bride, a mystical bride. In other words, we have received God's love, and we are responding to him in love as he has done to us. But there's one more metaphor in the Eastern churches, we speak of the human person as having, before the fall, before sin, been in a very glorious state, a state that is somewhat like we are now, but something even, something somehow different, more perfect, maybe more spiritualized, like we'll be in the end at our destiny. And when we fell, everything became a little more coarse or corrupted and the eastern fathers call that we got a garment of skin again that's another double meaning the using the skins of animals to cover themselves Eve. they didn't have to do that before remember they did not have to do that before because they were pure they looked at each other saw each other and they were naked without shame now they saw each other sinfully so they had to cover up what did they use to cover up they used animal skins but also it means that we took on a coarsening kind of garment. In other words, our skin, our body somehow became less, less spectacular, less spiritualized, less pure. They became more coarse and sort of gross. Let's face it, you know, we can smell, we have to clean up and we die. Our bodies rot in the grave, death smells. So there's a coarseness that probably was not there at the beginning. And so our flesh has become this sort of garment of skin, whereas before it was as if we almost didn't even have skin. Somehow our bodies were more spiritualized, more perfect and holy. And we see that in the Virgin Mary, in her Dormition, her Assumption, and also Jesus' Resurrection and his appearance to the apostles. They had bodies that were spiritualized. They were still bodies, but somehow almost like what we would call as ghosts somehow. Again, they were both and. And that's how we were meant to be at the beginning. It's probably how we were, something like that. And that's how our ultimate destiny is, which will happen again thanks to Jesus Christ because he put us back together again by dying and rising. So we will die. We'll have that judgment. Our bodies will separate from our souls for a time. But in time, at the last judgment, bodies will rise up, be reunited with our souls. And if we are saved, we will go to heaven in that spiritualized, perfect, wonderful form that God has intended for us. He intended it at the beginning, and he intends it as our destiny, and he proved it by his own body and soul and spirit. Thank you for listening. Have a great season of Meat Fair, Cheese Fair, and the Great Fast. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light
0: of the East. CWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important.
1: So should you. Thank you for listening.